guard, the AEP, brings the arm down. And as he brings the arm down with his left hand, he brings his AK down with his right hand and from left to right, he shoots. He shoots at the formation. Hi, and welcome to The Spear, a podcast by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI. This podcast is a platform for us to explore the combat experience. To do that, each episode includes a single one-on-one interview with a guest who walks us through a particular event and their role in it. A battle, a firefight, a mission. It's a first-person account of combat. We chose the spear as the name of the podcast to capture two ideas. First, that combat is that unique experience that takes place at the tip of the spear. And second, that in our modern wars, it isn't just combat forces that can find themselves fighting. Any part of our military, any part of the spear, combat or support, can be forced by circumstances to become that sharp fighting end. For this episode, I talked to Master Sergeant Raymond Colazzo. In 2014, he was a platoon sergeant deployed to Afghanistan, based at Bob Lightning in the eastern portion of the country. Just weeks after they arrived in country, during a mission in which his platoon visited an Afghan police compound, they were the target of an insider attack, a threat that had risen steadily since 2007. Master Sergeant Colazzo talks us through the mission, how his unit had incorporated the insider attack threat into regular mission planning, and what happened when an Afghan police officer opened fire that day. A couple notes before we get into the conversation. First, The Spear is now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast apps, so be sure to find it and subscribe. In upcoming episodes, we talk to guests about the fight against the Iraqi military during the 2003 invasion and a suicide bombing in Afghanistan. Also, as always, what you hear on this podcast are the views of the participants and don't represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. All right, let's get to the conversation. Master Sergeant Colazzo, thanks for coming in and talking to us uh, today. I understand we're going to be talking about an incident that happened in 2014? Yes, sir. Can you, first of all, give us some background. What unit were you with? Uh, where were you at? And kind of what were you, what were you doing? So we, uh, we found out we were going to Afghanistan in March of 2014, officially. And we deployed late June of that year, 2014. We were in country for two weeks before we went to uh, Fob Lightning, which was in Gardez. And we ran missions out of there as an SFAT team. Okay. Uh, we were the only platoon selected. Can you explain what that is? So SFAT team is a security team that goes out with um, a local group of green suiters or you know, army officials or officers, NCOs, and, and they go out and they talk to um, different populations with either the Afghan Uniformed Police or the Afghan National Army. And they try to uh, build up relations with them in country to try to make their army and, and their force, police force better. So are you doing, as part of that mission, are you doing actual training with them or is it limited more to just engaging with them and building those relationships? Our role um, as a security team was just that. It was just to secure the SFAT team itself so that they can build relations and um, and kind of help them throughout the transition to you know lead their own soldiers and policemen. 
Did you know that when, when you got the deployment order, did you know that that's what your role was going to be? So that was what we trained up for uh, prior to when we went to NCC. Mm-hmm. Um, after the NCC rotation, we, we then found out that we had been selected to, um, to play that role, to be the uh, security force element for the SBAT team. Okay. So you get into country and this is what you start doing, right? Going out on a daily basis and engaging yes, with is it local police, national police, Afghan National Army? Who is it that you're? It was all of the above. Uh, very rarely we actually engaged the local populace. We just focused on you know the policemen, national police, and and uh, the army. Um, so a month, six weeks after you get in country, um, can you walk us through kind of what happened? What day was it? So on August fifth of 2014 um, it was just like any other patrol we did a lot of our missions during the morning and it was the day after Ramadan where we you know conducted our mission brief everything was just on schedule um, the way we like to do it and uh, for some reason that morning just seemed just a little eerie Um, we knew it was the day after Ramadan so we we weren't sure how we felt, but we knew we had to just be a little bit more vigilant and attention to detail when it came to driving on the road and getting to the compound we were going to that day. So where where were, where were you going? We were going to a police compound, uh, just maybe 10, 15 miles northeast of Fob Lightning where we would sit with the uh, police chief or the squadron commander would sit with the police chief and they would go ahead and discuss and build relations on you know the AO and, and talk about you know, maybe the fasting of Ramadan and things like that. So you, you roll out in the morning? We roll out in the morning. I believe it was around 8, and eight 9 o'clock that morning. How big is your element? Who's, who's going out with you? So it was... It was our entire platoon. Our platoon was really small. We had maybe about 22 personnel. Um, but then we had the SFAT team with us, which was about five to six people, um, officers. And um, we had one NCO with us that day from another platoon as well, just to look at, uh, look at the area. Um, we had about five or six trucks and we just, you know, rolled out to uh, the compound as, as normal. Can you, um, if you're taking kind of a step back, and uh, what what's the enemy situation in this area at the time? Is is there a significant Taliban presence? Um, what, what's the what's the major threat? The only threat we ever faced out there was the insider attack. Going to these different compounds and just being aware of, you know. Uh, Afghan national police or Afghan uh, local police um, actually shooting at one of our soldiers. Um, very rarely we seen any IEDs on, on the routes we took or heard of any reports. It's been a long while since mm-hmm. we got there that we got anything like that. Um, a lot of the enemy was actually uh, south of us um, in, in other different compounds, but um, before we got there, I believe there was one or two insider attacks that they were able to uh, train us on. I, I believe we ripped with 10th Mountain 
uh, when we got there. So they were able to give us some pointers on how to, you know, what some things to look out for and, and just to be aware of certain situations. So just, I mean, I think that's a pretty important indicator of how serious this threat was, that this is something that presumably comes up in your mission brief every day before you roll out the, the prospect of insider attacks? Right. Every day we we always brief IEDs just, just because it was just a battle rhythm. Um, but we always made sure that we hit the different uh, different areas, whether it be a sniper attack, and, and we always left off with the insider attack because that was highly likely um, in that area to happen. Did the did the possibility of an insider attack impact your scheme of maneuver? I mean, did, did it did it come into how you how you actually planned the, the mission? There were different approaches or courses of action that we um, that we briefed in case that happened. As far as if you know we if we did receive an insider attack outside the compound how would we you know secure the area with trucks how would we take you know a room inside a building if it happened inside the compound um, but we were also you know the, the the one course of action that we always briefed was you know even though we're briefing the mission brief that morning there were things were just going to happen and we just had to be ready for anything and you know be ready to pull security at all times and be prepared to um, react if we needed to. Okay, so kind of getting back to this day, August 5th, 2014, um, you get to the compound, it's a it's an AOP compound, local police compound? It was a Afghan uniform police compound. Okay, um, so what happens then when you when you get there? So we get there, it's a, it's a traffic circle outside the compound with maybe a hundred meter walk uphill to the actual building. Um, but we use that traffic circle as a traffic control point for, for our trucks to keep a lot of the vehicles out, um, get eyes on you know the main road and, and the area around us in case there was some sort of IED threat or a sniper attack. Um, everything seemed to go smooth. It was quite a few people out, a lot of kids that day. Um, as I mentioned, you know that was at, you know Ramadan had just ended the day before, so. Um, we picked up our positions with the uh, five trucks we had and you know our uh, dismounts went ahead and, and got out the trucks checked for IEDs did IED sweeps and then went ahead pulled security and walked up to the uh, compound with the SVAT team and so at this point when you're doing the security sweeps is there anything suspicious so I like to get out on ground as a platoon sergeant just to, you know, just to look at my trucks, um, make sure that they're positioned the way they need to be positioned. Um, that day, there just seemed to be, again, a lot of kids, and there were two uh, Afghan uniformed police outside in the traffic circle. Normally, we would see one, and he would always stay by his shack. Mm -hmm. uh, but today, it was a little different. He, uh, the two individuals were with the kids, um, and as my element, dismounted element, moved up towards the compound, he noticed that I was outside the truck with uh, my medic, and uh, he approached me. One of the two? One of the two okay. Afghan uh, policemen approached me and uh, talking about Facebook. 
Facebook. Uh, social media, Facebook, and I wanted to know if I had uh, an account or a username and things like that, which I kind of found weird. Um, so, you know, I told him that I didn't have Facebook at the time and, you know, just to kind of brush off the situation and the questioning um, because he was pretty persistent with questions. Uh, that was the one that stuck out the most. Uh, I made it. I made a note of it, and I reported it out to uh, my platoon leader, who, who was inside the at compound. the time was inside the compound. You said he was inside the compound. At and the he time. just said, "Hey, this guy out here is just—I don't know what it is, but he's acting a little bit strange." Right. That was exactly it. And I told him, you know, "Hey, you know, I have this guy out here. There's two of them, with a bunch of kids uh, asking questions about Facebook." Um, gave him a description, you know. Uh, just to be aware and if i see him going to compound i'll you know let you know so you can get eyes on him and and did he did he did he go in the compound so i would say maybe 40 minutes to an hour later he did uh he walked up to the compound and at that time i was inside my truck but uh we noticed him go inside and i called up to the platoon leader and let him know and he's walking up there now um just just by himself just to i guess probably see what's going on my platoon, late, platoon leader actually made contact with him and talked to him, and, and he reported back down to me and, and told me the same thing and said, hey, yeah, he's kind of acting a little too friendly. And so, um, you know, I just told him, hey, just be aware of anything. You know, seems a little strange, just take a note of it, but he doesn't seem like he's a threat. So we'll just keep an eye out. Are these, um, are the policemen all armed at this point when they're in the compound, when they're outside? Right, all the uh, all their forces are armed with uh, AK-47s. Okay, so, so so at this point, there's nothing that you can put a finger on, but here's this police Afghan police officer carrying his AK-47 around and just being a little bit friendly to you, and it kind of strikes both you and the platoon leader as off. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, so then what? Well, I mean, you know, we we went ahead and uh, continued mission. Um, I think another hour goes by. It was probably between the hours of 11.30 in the morning, 12.30 in the afternoon. And um, the platoon leader calls me and says, hey, we're wrapping up inside the building. We're actually going to you know, move out to your location. And um, so at that point, I said, okay, great. You know, when I get eyes on, I'll dismount and uh, you know, I'll, I'll check the area and then call for you to move forward and, and you guys can mount up. Is the at the at the time is this one suspicious individual still inside with them? So no, that he actually left 10, 15 minutes prior to us leaving. Um, he actually went left the building and was at a, a guard position right outside the gate where the uh, the guard arm, mm -hmm. which allows vehicles and individuals in and out. Um, that that's where he was located at. Okay. Um, so you know we didn't think anything of it. We just figured, okay, well his break is over. He's just back to his duty position, pulling his his security for his compound. So then the the element that you've got inside right. comes out of the compound, starts heading back toward your toward your location. Right. They start walking. Um, they're in a staggered column formation, just basic infantry tactics. And even uh, even inside the compound, they're they're moving sort of tactically. Oh yeah, at, at all times, um, and they start moving, uh, moving down, and I see, I get eyes on them. I call down to the uh, PO. I let him know, hey, I got eyes on, 
Uh, when you guys get a little closer, we'll you know drop the r ramp on the MRAPs and we'll mount you guys up. Um, he acknowledges and uh, and that's about it. They proceed walking down, and at this time they they're all passing the uh, the guard the the individual that we've been engaging the whole time about you know the, the social media questions. He was at the guard shack. He actually had the arm raised for the um, for the guard shack and. Um, the last two individuals in that uh, formation, which was a, another platoon leader from a different platoon and another squad leader from a, a different platoon that we had took out, um, as they pass maybe about 10, 15 feet, the guard, the AEP, brings the arm down. And as he brings the arm down with his left hand, he brings his AK down with his right hand and from left to right, he shoots. He shoots at the formation, um, roughly about seven to 10 rounds, give had, or take. So they had not passed that guard At that yet. point, they just passed. Okay, they so he turns as they're walking, he, they're walking away from him. Right, they were, my formation was already moving towards the trucks. Uh -huh. And um, and it was a, a nice choke point which we've identified before, you know, the mission brief was, hey, if you can get around that choke point, do so. Um, so if you can avoid it, great, but if you can't, make it quick. And um, it was a great position for the enemy, for him, for the AEP to actually uh, shoot at our um, U.S. forces. How many rounds did he fire? I would say about nine, seven to nine rounds. In a single burst? Or? Single burst. It was a single burst. And... Um, you know, at that point, as soon as he burst, gave that initial burst, the platoon leader from the, from the other platoon that we had taken out, he was just doing basic, you know, infantry tactics, which was the 360 security, turn around, as one person turns around, the next person turns around, and those simple skills is what I believe saved that formation, because as soon as he turned to the rear to just check security, he eliminated the threat. So, how long did it all happen from, the, or how long did this all take from the time that this he, he fires his first round to the time that 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 the platoon leader returns fire? Within seconds. Wow. It felt longer, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, at first we thought it was some kind of accidental discharge, um, either with the soldiers or the Afghan uniformed police, we, it was just a shock. It happened so fast, even though it was still, it felt long. Um, How did everybody else react? The way they should have, they immediately took cover. I mean, every single soldier in that, that platoon took cover. Um, some soldiers, because of training, they didn't realize that what they were doing were which was the right things as far as, you know, grabbing the squadron commander, putting him undercover and grabbing the SFAT team, putting those individuals undercover and and then just trying to get a good assessment of the situation. So they reacted just like we would have been training, you know, second second nature. So these seven seven to nine shots, you think somewhere in, in, in that range, um, did you have any casualties? At that time, um, we did not see any soldier 
of course, you know, on the ground. Um, so it, that initial assessment, the, you know, there was, there wasn't any, um, it had to take a few minutes to kind of just regain our posture. Uh, me talking to the platoon, platoon leader and letting him know, hey, listen, you know, what's the situation on the ground? Sending up our reports to hire, which was my role, to, uh, to our talk. And um, getting everybody on the trucks, which was the safest place at that time because it was pretty open. Um, once we got everyone settled, maybe about five, five minutes after, we, uh, we started doing a quick assessment of, of individuals. And um, at that time, we noticed that you know, the squad leader that was in from the other platoon, who was also in my truck, he, uh, he gets in the truck. I look at him, and uh, we realize that he actually did get shot in the left side of his helmet. Um, you know, he did mention that, hey, you know, I, I felt something hit me really hard in the back of my head. I think I got shot, but you know, at that time he wasn't gonna take his helmet off, you yeah. know, outside. So I had the medic on my truck and I had him doing a quick assessment on him. And uh, in fact, did get shot with one, one round left side of his helmet, which saved him. Wow. So. Um, and presumably as soon as these rounds are going off and everybody's reacting according to their training, um, you don't know, is this just one guy? Are there others? Is this part of something bigger? So. Can you, can you walk through kind of that process of, of getting to that point where you realize, okay, this guy was sort of a lone actor? I think, so at that time when, um, when the platoon leader and, and SFAT team, along with the sec uh, security team, when they started walking through, we noticed that the area wasn't crowded anymore. There weren't any kids. Um, when that guard was outside, he was by himself. So when all that happened and we made another assessment, we did notice a lot more Afghan uniformed police started coming out from the compound wondering what the shots were. Um, and immediately, you know, the Afghan uniformed police started blaming us for the incident. So at that point it started to become hostile um, and we didn't want it to be. So, so these are guys that are, I mean, ostensibly an allied force, but at the same time, a group of guys that any one of them can be a potential threat as well. Right. So this is this happened on August fifth, twenty fourteen. You said, which is also a day that there was another quite famous insider attack. Right. That day. So we didn't know this until we got back um, to the compound. Uh, we, you know, we got our squadron commander, who actually also took a ricochet round to his knee. Um, and the squad leader. So those are the two casualties. Those are the only two casualties we had. Uh, we, we, you know, sent, got him into the uh, aid station. Um, when we finally got settled in, we learned that there were a bunch of coordinated attacks that happened that day throughout RC East. Uh, one of them being ours, of course. And then what was famous that day, you know, fortunately was. Uh, Major General Green uh, also got killed. I believe it was on Bath. The highest uh, ranking, highest ranking uh, U.S. person to 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 have been killed in 
they needed Iraq or Afghanistan wars. Right. So do you know, is the assessment that these were in fact coordinated, that it was, it was intended? We didn't know for that day. I mean, we had no idea, I don't think, um, at least at our level, at, at the platoon level, maybe even at the company level, we knew it was possible um, just from our normal S2 briefs. But um, for the different insider attacks to happen all at the same time on one day, it was uh, made it very real at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a certain amount of assumed risk that you take when, when you're doing this kind of mission because you know that you're going into a group of people who you believe to be friendly but you don't know for sure if every single one of them is friendly. They're all armed. Um, but if you're going to do the job, you have to engage with them. Uh, so setting aside the question of whether or not there anything could have been done to avoid the incident, in terms of your response, um, what, what do you think really went well in terms of how how you guys responded to the incident as soon as shots rang out? Well, uh, you know, we were able to get it on camera, um, luckily. From a, from a, what, a, a CCTV, a security camera or uh, something that picked it up? Right, we had a CCTV video camera from um, the FOB that was able to capture our movements, okay. the whole entire incident. And um, we were able to use that video to learn pretty much do an AAR what went right what went wrong um, because that day everyone felt that they did everything wrong um, which you cannot prevent an insider attack you just don't know when that's going to happen mm -hmm. um, and it was for us we were the only successful by successful we were the only insider attack that didn't you know get one of our guys killed um, and as we look through the video, the you know, I, I try to pick the good out of that video, the AAR, because you know soldiers are quick to um, just look at the bad things. We didn't do this right. We didn't do that right. Um, but as I mentioned before, you know, just the basic infantry skills of turning around, pulling security, 360 security, things like that is what saved us. And um, I'm not sure if we were just lucky that day, um, but the reaction time was great. Um, of course, we could have done done some things better, um, but I, I think that overall, you know, everyone came home alive that day, and that's you, all that mattered. You think it's a, is it a muscle memory thing, both as individuals, um, but also as a unit? I think both, and a lot of gained experience. I mean, my platoon of 20 only had five combat experience individuals in that platoon. Oh. Um, three squad leaders, myself, and uh, and actually the other squad leader that was uh, out on ground with us. So it was a uh, it's a big risk, but we knew that our experience would get us through it. So any other sort of lessons learned that you that you that you'd like to that you think come came out of this? I, I think just the. Uh, it brought everybody back to being humble um, and not taking things from, for granted. Um, it made them more aware, um, you know, and, and I would tell my guys even before we deployed, I said, hey, things like this is going to happen and, and you're going to be in a situation where you don't know if you're going to freeze or not. But it doesn't matter as long as you snap out of it and you continue mission. Um, so the mindset after, which I think was a good mindset, was 
if I can go back and do it again, what would I do differently? Um, and always asking those questions because I think that experience later on, I mean, these are young, young men that's gonna lead the army one day. They're gonna have a bunch of young men under them too that uh, you know, they're gonna need that support and that experience and, um, and they gained it that day. I wanna go back kind of um, just briefly to the beginning when, again, it kind of strikes me as, as interesting that this guy is just asking questions about Facebook and, and, and you don't know what it is, but something kind of triggered a, a flag, a red flag, both for you and for the platoon leader. I think the fact that you guys communicated that to each other reinforced it. Um, how important is, um, I guess, what you might call emotional intelligence, being able to kind of pick up on those cues and, and even if you aren't yet at the point where you can process it and, and come to a conclusion about what this means, to know that it maybe means something. So for me, um, at that time, I, didn't, I knew a little bit about emotional intelligence um, and it wasn't until after after the situation when I actually got a chance to reflect on you know, what that was. And um, I think it's very important to identify those things and, and understand that you know, those different signals mean something. Um, does it, it may not necessarily be a bad thing, but as long as you keep communication open you know, with hire, which we did, and internally, um, we were able to just pick up on those little things and those are the things we talked about after like hey this started with just a simple conversation of Facebook and then it turned into hey can I get a bottle of water and you know can I get an MRE and things like that and just being able to relax as well and, and not be on hot I mean you're always on high guard but being able to as you mentioned before communicate with these you know these people um, and then just pick up on certain things, you, you get a lot of intel by that. We never really knew why this guy, you know, his intent behind Facebook or just social media, um, but we knew that that was a question that we never encountered, um, especially myself, this being my third deployment. So um, it could have been just the world's changing and social media just becoming big, or it could have it meant him looking up our names and threatening us back home. Mm -hmm. um, probably never know, but but I, I do think that having that emotional intelligence in, in, those situ in every situation in combat is important. It's important. Do you think, um, do you think we do a good job, especially with, in developing that, especially among, say, junior soldiers? Um, you said this is your third deployment. So you had kind of a paradigm through which to like, like assess this and kind of process it. But some of these guys, you said most of them, this is their first deployment, you're only six weeks into it. Um, do you think before deployments that our training emphasizes that? They try to as best as they can, mm -hmm. um, but it has to take a life-altering event for them to really understand it. Sure. Um, but it, you know, I had a soldier that, a young E5 that finally told me, he says, hey, you know, all the stories that you used to tell us about IEDs and, and firefights, and uh, I finally get it now. Now I understand what you mean by, you know, you'll get it once you go through it yourself. And um, that built his emotional intelligence, and he's a little bit more aware, and he takes it more seriously, and he listens more, and, and you know, and it's just those life-changing events that just 
I think it's that missing element for it to sure. make it real for these guys. And um, I think the Army is continuously getting better with it. Um, I'm going to leave here and be a first on, and I hope that you know, the company that I take practice, you know, take over, they practice that every day. So That's great. Master Sergeant Colazzo, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Spear. Remember to find it wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Also, we publish new articles every day at our website, mwi.usma.edu. So check out the site and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again.